0: you don't have to get stuck thank you Jesus thank you Jesus because his grace is sufficient amen you can move forward in him you can move forward you don't have to get stuck where you are or think that yesterday defines you because it doesn't because the Bible shows us that his grace is yeah. sufficient God, I just want to pray for us Father God right now in the name of Jesus as we sang that Lord God forward Lord Jesus I sense that in my heart for some of us in this place Lord God you're wanting us to move forward my God you're wanting to break us free from things that have been trying to define us but you tell us Lord you make all things new because of the blood of your son Jesus And so, Spirit of God, I pray that you fill us, that we would move forward, Lord God, that we would move forward in your grace and your love, that we would move forward in your purpose and your destiny over our lives, that we would move forward in your wisdom, in your grace, that we would move forward in our lives, Lord God, in our circumstances, that we would move forward, Lord God, today. Let those things that try to bind name of jesus let those things that try to hold us back loose us in the name of jesus now my god i pray now lord god that in the soul of my brother and the soul of my sister that they When you have Hebrews 11 and verse 4, I want you to hold your place there and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 4. Because we're going to read both of these portions of scripture. Hebrews 11:4 and Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. When you got it, say so. so. And it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead still speaks. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And it reads like this. It says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, this is God speaking, what have you done? The voice of your, blo- of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Lord, thank you so much for your gracious, gracious presence in this place. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for filling us and giving us the privilege to worship you, God. Lord, this morning we ask you that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. And we ask you, Lord God, that you would be glorified In this time Lord that we would not just be hearers of your word but that we would be doers of it I pray Lord Jesus that you would help us to walk by faith in our worship we pray this in Jesus good name and everyone said you may be seated in the presence of the Lord So again, that is the video that I wanted to see last week, but I did not send it to Lewis. I thought that I did, but I did not. And so it was a mistake on my part. But um, today is also the eighth day in our Bible reading challenge. How many of y'all been following the challenge? Come on, let me see some hands there. I got a few people. The rest of y'all are in the flesh. So now that we know that, I I want to make sure you make this clear. This is a Bible reading challenge for the church. Are you hearing me? This is for us as a congregation to be able to be in the word of God in the same scriptures together. Amen, somebody. And so we are in day eight today, and um, I'm not going to be doing a video, so that gives you a little bit of time to catch up on your reading because I know everybody next week when I ask that question, y'all are going to raise your hand, and you're either going to be lying or you're going to be telling the truth. Amen right? So ultimately, I just really, I mean, seriously, you know, this is the first time that I've ever even called the church into this type of um, Bible reading plan. I usually just leave it up to you. You go ahead and read whatever you want. And I encourage you to read the Word of God um, every year to go through the scriptures. But this year, I just want to do something special for us. So I really challenge you, all jokes aside, to get into the Word. Um, We're reading three chapters a day, um, every day. I'm trying to make sure that I post videos discussing some portion of it. And so today is the eighth day of that. And so the chapters that, you're, uh, that you should be on is Genesis chapter 22 through 24. So I encourage you to get into those scriptures. My family and I will be reading those later on today. And so I encourage you to do the same thing. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand just really quick. If you don't have one, want to make sure that you get an outline. Um, just hold it up. The ushers will get it to you. We'll get you an outline. There you go. Keep it up. Keep it up. Very important that you have the outlines. We want to make sure that you follow along with me in the sermon in the beginning. And not only that, but we want to make sure that you take notes. Taking notes is important. And then also, we want to make sure that you are helping someone grow in their faith. And so, using these outlines will help you to do that because you're able to take notes, write down what you're learning, and help someone else grow in their faith. And as I, I try to remind you weekly, if you are not helping someone else grow in their faith, you're not growing in your faith. Are you here? Are you here? Are you here? If if you are not helping someone grow in their faith, you're not growing in your faith. If you're not helping someone come to maturity in Christ, then you're not going to be growing the way that God would have you to. And so I encourage you to consider that in this year. Who are you helping grow in their faith? And so in the outline, the first portion here, the first paragraph, we all worship something. We were created for worship. All of us worship. There's, not a, there's never a question, are you worshiping? The reality is that every one of us worships. We were created to worship. The scripture says that we are a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We are a peculiar people. For what purpose? To look cute? No to proclaim the praises of our God. That's what we're supposed to be doing, and so we're worshipers, and I'll talk about um, um, John chapter 5 in a moment, but Jesus says that the Father is seeking worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and so ultimately, we all worship, and so if you look at this, the, the, the thing is, in our worship, that is where we experience joy and satisfaction. When I am in worship, when I worship the Lord, that is when I experience the greatest joy and the greatest satisfaction. Now, I will say this, worship is not limited to the songs that we sing. Are you here? It's not. It's not limited to that. We, when we talk about worship, we're talking about a lifestyle of worship. We're talking about the life that we live. Worship is our acts of obedience unto the Lord. And when I say that, it is when I am living in obedience to God that I experience the greatest joy and satisfaction in my life. So the issue is, is the issue for us is not whether we worship or not. The issue is the object or objects of our worship and the objective of our worship. Those two things keep. Those in mind. It's the objects or the object that we worship and it is the objective of our worship. See here's the thing, second paragraph. It is equally possible to worship God with the wrong objective as it is to worship with to worship the wrong object. The same way that I can worship something or someone other than God is the same way that I can worship God with the wrong objective. It wouldn't be true worship. It wouldn't be pure worship. But I can do that. I can focus what I'm doing at God the same way that Cain did. Because what we realize is that just as Cain seemingly worshiped God. The story we just read in, um, in, in Genesis chapter 4, and we'll go back there, what happens is Cain brings an offering unto God, and so does Abel. They both bring an offering that is seemingly directed towards God. It would seem to have the right objective, but the reality is when he murders his brother, it shows us that his objective was wrong. The object of his worship was correct. You know, he was worshiping, he was giving something to God, but the objective of his worship was incorrect. And so last paragraph here, Jesus said in John chapter 5 that the Father is seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking something from us as people. And not often the Bible says that God is seeking anything, but he is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And what I want you to realize is that the original chief worshiper, which is Satan, he was the archangel created with, he was he was a minstrel all by himself. He was a whole music ministry all alone. I mean, this guy was, was made to worship God. He was made to lead the host of heaven in worship. That's what, he, that's what he was created for. And what I want you to realize is that he aims at our worship. He wants He desires to dilute it and to distort it and ultimately to destroy it. That's what he wants to do. As the Father seeks worshipers, the enemy seeks to destroy worshipers. As the Father seeks worshipers, the enemy seeks to steal worshipers and get people who think they, they, they have a diluted worship where they're worshiping with the wrong motives. They're worshiping in the wrong way. Or, or he gets he get, get people to have a distortion in their worship. That is what the enemy wants to do here. And as I was reading through this and as I was meditating on this, I, I, I noticed something that is so important because the enemy wants to aim at all of us. But I want to tell you one group that the enemy wants to aim at in a huge way. And that is every man that is sitting in this place, every male that is sitting in this place understand something when we think about worship a lot of times we kind of sign off as men like worship is for women yeah women sing women clap their hands women get emotional but us men you know we don't get emotional you know we're stoic we're strong you know and so we don't worship but the reality is I want you to know that there's a guy in the Bible by the name of David and this guy by the name of David, he, he, he co-authored the largest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms, which has 150 chapters in it. And, and, and what, what we need to get here is that if you want to talk about a man's man, it was David. I mean, how many of y'all in here have killed a bear or a lion? And, and any man in here that can boast that, like you killed a bear or a lion, and let, let's, take it, let's, let's take it down a notch, or let's take it up a notch, and he, he didn't have a bow and arrow, he didn't have some kind of weapon of mass destruction to do it with, he didn't have some dynamite, he had a sling, that's all he had, and a stone, and he, and he slung, and, and, he, and, and he slayed these, these animals that, I mean, none of us, I mean, how many of y'all want to just jump into a ring with, an, with, with a lion right now? Nobody wants to do that. But this guy, and let's not forget about the nine-foot giant that he killed as well. This is a man's man. This is a guy that is, if any, any of us in here would want to be like David. I'm just saying, I mean, I would love to boast, that. hey, I killed a lion. I killed a bear. I killed a nine-foot guy. I mean, I'm not saying I want to kill someone. I'm just saying. Like, like I would want to boast that, right? Like, I would want to be able to say that. And it, because this is, a, this is a guy, but you know what? Then you read it. You read it. <laughs> Amen. Well, I hope y'all are awake, and if you were not, you are now, glory to God. If you were not paying attention, you are now, so hey, whatever it takes, right? You know, we just want to make sure the second service, we're checking hearts right now to see if y'all are okay. <laughs> that was a bear. <laughs> but what I want you to realize is that when David became king... Not only was he this worshiper, but or not only was he this warrior, but he was a worshiper as well. He was, he was a man that his wife, Micaiah, was sitting up in a balcony watching him as the Ark of the Covenant is coming into Israel. And David is dancing. This guy that slayed that giant. This guy that killed a lion and a bear. He is over here. And I mean, he, it tells us, he, basically, this is what it says. He was in his underwear. Hello, somebody. He was in his undergarments, right? Their underwear looked a little different than ours today. I'm just going to say that right now, right? He wasn't running around in a Speedo. Let's just put it out there, okay? I'm just, it wasn't like that. But he, was in, he wasn't in—he was in his kingly, you know, thing on him. And he wasn't walking around with his crown on. He threw all that stuff to the side in an unhindered way. And he began to twirl about in the presence of God. And Mikael was like, look at you looking so dishonorable among your servants. And his and his response is, I don't care about looking dignified. It's not about my dignity. It's about the dignity of the one who deserves glory, the one who deserves honor. He is a man who understood worship. And, fellas, let me tell you something why this is so important. Because you are of such great great Value as men. I want to see men grow in their relationship with God, grow in their devotion to Jesus. I want to see men being elders in the church. I want to see men leading in, in areas of, of life like I've never seen before. But what I realize is that if we don't know how to be worshipers, we won't have as much influence as God desires. You see, because where David was before he slayed the giant, before he became the king, you know where he was? He was out there with the sheep and a harp. Hello, somebody. And he was worshiping God all by himself. And when Jesse, you know, J- Jesse, his father had Samuel come to the house to anoint the next king, you know what happened? David is over here. He's out there by himself. Everybody else is coming in the house. And David is still out there worshiping his God, doing his thing out there. And guess what? He comes in and God says, that's the one. You know why? Because he was faithful outside worshiping. He wasn't worried about coming into the house and getting the favor of men. He was concerned with worshiping his God, bringing glory to his king. And then when Saul had the demonic spirit, you know what they looked for? They looked for a musician that was talented and good looking. Hello, somebody. Some of us ain't going to be able to do anything about our looks. But here's what I want you to know. He had somebody that was talented. And you know what? When David started to play that harp, guess what happened? All that demonic influence started to move from Saul's life. This was a man that understood worship. And listen, you know, guys, you want to be a better husband? Learn how to be a powerful worshiper. You want to be be more influential in your job? Learn how to be a powerful worshiper. You want to influence people around you? Learn how to be a man that is worship. A man who understands there's a time to be tough and there's a time to be tender. There's a time to be to, to, to be bold and brash, and there's a time to be broken and bent. Are you here? This is what I want you to get. When God says, I'm seeking worshipers, He didn't say, I'm seeking a gender in worship. He said, I'm seeking worshipers. I'm seeking worshipers. And so here's the big idea. And the title of the message today is Faith in Worship. But the big idea is this true worship is the result of true faith. True worship is the result of true faith. And we noticed something. I said last week that, you know, this list of people known as, you know, by, by some people as the hall of faith, what what this list is, it said in verse 2, that the elders obtained a good testimony. Remember I said last week, I said that this is literally saying that God bragged upon these people. That's what it's saying is that he's bragging. He's saying, look at my sons. Look at my daughters. Look at my children and the exploits of faith that they have accomplished. That's what he's doing here. And I love the fact that the first person that he chooses to brag on is a guy by the name of Abel. A male worshiper. Someone who comes to God and brings him an offering to bring him glory. And the reason for that is because Abel had true faith, therefore, he had true worship. The first thing I should repeat after me is to say, Worship is who we are, not just what we give. Worship is who we are, not just what we give. The verse says like this it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And you can just look at this or write this down. But if you look at verses 1, 5 through 8, you will see the whole story and how it unfolds. And it says that that, a, that Cain brought an offering from the ground unto the Lord, and Abel brought a you know a calf, and he brought and, and, and its fat parts. And the scripture says that God respected Abel and his gift or his offering. He never disconnects the gift and the person. Are you here? For some reason for us, we want to disconnect what we give to God from who we really are. God doesn't do that. We are connected directly to whatever it is that we offer God. When we offer him a song, this is, this is the reality. The reality is I love to sing worship. I mean, we could have just literally continued to just sing and continue to just, you know, press into the presence of God. We could continue to do that. But here's what I want you to know, that all the songs that we sing, if they're not connected to a life of worship, they're worthless. Because God is not looking at how well you harmonize or not. See, some of you get offended because the person next you can't sing. You're like, can you shut up, please? And let me encourage you, if you're that person next to them, they're hoping shut up, don't shut up, keep worshiping Jesus. Because your worship is not for their ears, it's for his. Now, if they get up here with a mic, then it's a different story. (laughs) Then we got to have a different conversation. And you'll be like, Bishop, what's wrong with you, man? Like, you know. Use our gifts and our talents to glorify God and edify others. Hello, right? I'm just saying, right? If you can't, if you can't do something, then you shouldn't be doing it. But we we are we you know we we look at worship and singing and we see it based on how talented someone is or how much ability someone has, and we seem to be encouraged or stirred by that more. And and, and the reality is God is not stirred by how well we harmonize. He's not stirred by how well we sing, he's not stirred by anything like that. He's stirred by the life song. That we offer him. We're called to be living sacrifices. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Check it out. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Why does he combine these two? It is because you cannot worship God effectively if your mind is like the world. Are you here? You can't offer yourself the way that God calls you to offer yourself if you are living for yourself, if you're living in your own thoughts and the the way that you want to live rather than the way that he calls us to live. We can't disconnect the things that we offer to God from who he is. It says there, I read the scripture, it says... Abel offered a a, 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 a more excellent sacrifice. In the ESV, it says more acceptable. And in the Young's Little Translation, it says a better sacrifice. And what this word, um, more excellent or more acceptable, it can mean greater in quantity or greater in quality, superior or more excellent. That's That's what the word means. And so you have quantity and you have quality. And so the question is, which one matters? And the answer is both. It's not one or the other. It's both. But here's what I want you to know. The quantity of what you give God must be rooted in the quality of what you're giving him. He didn't just want, listen, he didn't just want a whole bunch of time. It's kind of like, you know, when I go, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I know for me sometimes when I go in to pray, I have like a lot of stuff on my mind. And I can go into a room and I can be in there and I start off really holy, right? I start off with great intentions because I want to come before God. I want to talk to the Lord. And I'm like, man, I feel it. And like two minutes into it, my mind starts to wander on all of these other things that are on my mind. Now, let me ask you a question. If I stood there for an hour with my mind wandering, which I have. And, and, and I'm in deep meditation, not on the Lord, but on whatever it is on my mind, how much did that matter to God in comparison to me coming to God and clearing my mind? And listen, when I say clear my mind, don't get crazy. I'm not talking about like emptying yourself. That's not what I'm saying, all right? I'm talking about removing the distractions, shutting off the cell phone. And when you start to see yourself, you know, thinking about those things, you begin to, you know, worship, open your mouth. Don't just get caught up in your thoughts. Which one do you think matters more to God, the hour that I spent in deep meditation or the hour that I spent trying to seek him and pursue him? I promise you it was the second, the one that I pursued him, and I went after him, and I wouldn't allow those thoughts to cloud my mind. And so, yes, we need to come to God not just with a quality of life but also quantity, but we need to make sure that we look at the quality that we are giving him in our worship. We must understand that to offer anything to God. So, you know, what was it that, that was different between Abel's offering and Cain's offering? Because it seems like an unfair story, doesn't it? I mean, if you just read it at face value. You know, one guy brings an offering and one guy's accepted and respected. The other one's rejected and disrespected. Seems unfair to me. I mean, I don't know about you. It seems unfair to me. There's no clarification. But the reality is there was something. And the reason why Abel makes it into this hall of faith is because it says the first thing. What does it say there? It says, by faith. Say, by faith. In this, Abel gave this offering Abel did something by faith where Cain's offering wasn't by faith. And how do I know that? Well, we're going to look at the next verse here. But what I want you to realize is that when I do anything by faith in God, it's not just by feeling. Faith is not about feelings, y'all. It is by me knowing what God expects of me. It is by knowing what God's standard is and by me saying, God, I'm going to meet that standard and I'm going to do what it is that you are asking me to do. We must commit to giving to God not only what he wants from us, but how he wants it. Hello, somebody. I want you to realize this. The details of our lives matter more to God than the offering in our hand. The details of our lives matter more to God than the offering we have in our hand. You see, we have to be those type of people. You know, I remember being a, being a kid. I used t- I used, a, I used a, another another illustration earlier, but I was thinking about it. You know, when I was a kid, my mom, she was trying to you know teach us to be responsible. You know, so she would give us chores to do, uh, like you know my, my least favorite of all chores that could ever be given, um, is to clean the bathroom. Hello just hated that, you know? And, 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 I, and, I, and I hated it, not because it was so disgusting, because it wasn't really the, the disgusting part. It's because I could never clean the bathroom correctly. Because <laughs> my mom was an inspector, right? So she would come in. Come on now, how many of y'all got a mom that's an inspector? Raise that hand up. Wave it and say, glory to God, amen, amen. <laughs> And my mom would come in after I would say, because, you know, we, were, we wanted to. We had to do our chores before we went out to play. And you know how that works, right? We're going to do this thing as quick as possible because I got to go. And so my mom knew. My mom cleaned bathrooms, you know, a few times in her life. And so she knew if I came, uh, came to her in 10 minutes, that bathroom wasn't clean, right? Yeah. Amen. See, that's another inspector right there. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's all good. I mean, hey hey, you know, we need that. I'm a better man for that today. I just know I don't clean bathrooms, you know? We just, you know, we're, or you know, cuz it's too, you know too too much detail. But here's the thing that I want you to realize is that my mom had a standard for what the bathroom should look like when I clean it. So if I was going to clean the bathroom correctly, there was a way to do it. Things had to be done a certain way. Do you think our God is any different? Cuz what he did was he inspected the offerings that were given to him, and one of them met the standard, the other one did not. One of them met the standard that God wanted. The other one fell short of the standard that God had had for the offering. And so, what we have to realize is that God is interested not just in the songs we sing, not just in the sacrifice we make, He is interested in the life that we live. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this say, through our worship, our, worship. our, hearts, our hearts are exposed. Through our worship, our hearts are exposed. Turn back to Genesis chapter 4 if you, if you turned away from there. And, and I want you to see what this says here. And it says in verse 5, so we'll start in verse 5. It says, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Right? So we talked about that. Look at the second part. It says, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. You see that? Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that Cain humbled himself and said, God, where did I fall short? It doesn't say Cain went to Abel and said, hey, man, how did you get God's acceptance? What was different? It doesn't say that. It says what? It says he got angry, and it says his face changed. That's what it says. Because worship does what? It exposes our heart. Number six, verse six there, it says, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? So the Lord is like, you ain't got no reason to be angry. That's why he's asking him this. Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Look at verse seven. It says, if you do well, say, if you do well. Listen, when God says to him, if you do well, he is saying to him, you know what to do, you need to do it. So apparently, somewhere between Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, God gave some instructions on what the standards were. That's the bottom line. We don't have those standards, but obviously they're there because you know God is just, amen. He's not just going to say, you know what, I don't like George and um, I like, you know, Emily. So I'm kicking George out, I'm keeping Emily. That's not the way that God works. Not just arbitrarily doing something crazy like that that's not the way that that happens so he tells him if you do well he says you he says will will you not be accepted he said and if you do not do well sin lies at the door and it's desirous for you but you shall rule over remember i said that the chief wor- the, the, the chief worshipper satan he he aims at our worship That's the sin that is laying at the door. And verse 8 says, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up again against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? You hear that? Get this. The greatest exposition of our heart is in our worship. The greatest exposing that takes place of our hearts is in our worship. See, when you look at this story here, the guy gets angry, his countenance falls, and then what does he do? He convinces his brother to go out to the field with him, and he kills the guy. And why does he kill him? He kills him because I'm, 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 listen, I'm adding this. This is not there. Just, Just hear what I'm saying. This is me. I'm assuming he's killing him because he's like, you know what? Rather than change my worship, I'm going to remove my competition. Rather than get my worship right, rather than me get my life right, I'm going to start pointing at everybody else's stuff. I'm going to start looking at everybody else's flaws. Hello, somebody. I'm going, to, I'm going to do what I can to remove those people so I guess I'll just be accepted. That's not so. That's not what happened. He kills his brother and then shows that he doesn't even like his brother. Like, am I my brother's keeper? Like an attitude. He got an attitude. With God. He got a ghetto on God. Am I, am I my brother's keeper? Like, what's up? You know? I mean, this guy is his heart is being exposed. Remember, I talked earlier about objects of worship and objective of worship. Here's what I want you to understand is that when the object of worship in our life is wrong or it's faulty, it's a little bit easier to detect, you know, if we're honest with ourselves. You know, because we can look at our lives and we can say, well, if Jesus is not first, if Jesus is not the center, if God is not the most important in my life, then you know what? I have a faulty a faulty object of worship. You know, some of us we worship other, we 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 worship things because we find joy We find pleasure in them You know, we can worship all kind of stuff We can worship people We can worship things We can worship relationship We can worship success I mean, you go down the list But we find pleasure, joy And ultimately, we find our identity in that You know, I often talk about this, you know Idolizing our children You know, I mean, the other day We were in, um, we, we were at Costco And I, I mean, I, my son, he threw a fit And I'm gonna tell you something I beat his behind when we got into that car I'm going to let you know right now. There was no joke. I, I told my wife, I said, you know I'm going to beat him when we get to this car. I couldn't beat him in the front of Costco because I would have ended up in jail. I'm just saying. It would have happened right there. Because certain people, they don't understand, you know, that when, when, when I'm, 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 I'm doing scripture. Hello. I'm beating the hell out of him. And so, and when I say I beat him, I hit him three times in his leg. That's what I did, okay? I didn't like, I did go crazy. I mean, I, it was hard, though. It hurt my hand enough. I'm letting you know this. But can I tell you something? I was glad that I was able to walk from the car, from the, from the front of the thing, to the... Amen. Yeah, I guess that's it, I gotta stop, guys. You don't, you don't get the rest of the story, it's over. <laughs> Amen. So <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna finish the story. We got, I, I got six minutes left, y'all gonna turn the music on, I got six minutes left here, hello. <laughs> I was glad that I got to walk from the entrance of Costco to the car because if I would have beat him in front of that Costco, it would have been purely in anger and out of embarrassment. By the time I got to the car, I was angry for sure. There's no question. But I understand my son needs to know you cannot act a fool like that. And it's not because you're embarrassing me. It's because as you get older, guess what? Mommy and daddy are the least of your worries. There's other authority, and the greatest authority of all, you can't just act a fool with God. You see, that's the reason why you spank your child or put your child in timeout, whatever your disciplinary action is. That's the reason why you do this, right? And so ultimately, this, is, this, this becomes, in, 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 in moments like that, it's, it's, it's that battle between am I finding my identity in my parenting or am I finding my identity in Christ? Was I more concerned? This is why I'm talking about worship, faulty worship. Where, you know, if you got perfect kids, I, told, I think I told you this before, maybe I never told you this, but I was a parent snob with Alexis. Because Alexis was the most calm child on planet Earth. She would sit there, I mean, I'm, I'm not lying, people used to compliment us because she was so calm. And I thought I was just an amazing parent. I'm like, man, we got this down, girl. I'm like, we got this on lock. <laughs> Other people were talking about, oh, my kid needs a nap. I'm like, you are a terrible parent. You cannot control your child. What is wrong with you? Josiah comes along, gave me some humble pie every day, glory to God. <laughs> Let's me know you suck as a parent. You need Jesus as a parent, glory to God. I'm just saying, this is, I mean, it's, it's just a reality. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's humble pie, glory to God. But the reality is we find our identity in these other things, and that's how we know it's a faulty object of worship. But let me say this. The objective of worship is more difficult to determine. See, his objective was wrong. That's the reason why he got angry. That's the reason why his countenance fell. Because what? His objective was wrong. That's the reality. His objective was wrong in his worship. His objective was incorrect. Here's how I want you to, this is how you're going to know if your objective in your worship is right or wrong. Listen to this. True worship is outwardly focused. Hear this. When you worship God, Do you worship, not for you, you worship for him. When you obey God, when you sing songs, are you singing them for us that are charismatic, for us that love to experience stuff? When you sing, are you looking for an experience or are you doing it for an expression? Are you doing it to express worship for God? Are you doing it to express that he is glorious? or Are you doing it to, you know, feel something? And if you don't feel something, well, there was something wrong. Worship is outwardly focused. It's about giving honor to another and has nothing to do with what you get out of it other than the satisfaction of knowing you've blessed the object of your worship. I'll say it one more time. True worship is outwardly focused. It's about giving honor to another and has nothing to do with what you get out of it other than the satisfaction of knowing you've blessed the object of your worship. That's what true worship is. And when my objective of worship is not outwardly focused, it's faulty. I get angry. My countenance falls. I start to feel, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. I would tell, tell you this right now. I've had people they, they come to Core Faith Church and they've left here because we're not Pentecostal enough for them. I'm going to let you know, I ain't got no problem saying it. We're, 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 we're not charismatic enough for them. And listen, I'm not here to please anybody. I'm here to please God. And we come here to worship, I don't control God, and I'm not gonna manipulate you. Did you hear what I just said? I mean, I don't control what God is going to do. I'm going And listen, I've told you this. I told you this last week. And for those of you that missed it, I hope you hear my heart. Man, I want to move of God like there is nothing else. I've been praying this year like I haven't prayed in who knows how long. I mean, I am seeking God because I want God. I want to see the glory of God. We started singing about moving forward. Listen, I want to see the body of Christ move into everything that God wants for them. But I am not going to manipulate anything because if I manipulate it, I've got to maintain it. And you know what? I'm not the one that's going to maintain what God's going to do in the earth that is going to be him and the only way that happens is when we allow ourselves to be submitted to his will and committed to his purposes and his plans that's what happens and so the reality is I want to see God move I want to see the glory of God move but when I worship him it's not about me when I worship him, it's not about what I feel and hear. It's about him. I love it. I use this, you know, Eric, you know, this, the first time we were talking about worship, you know, he shared this with me. That his idea, his vision, his heart for a Sunday morning is that, you know what, all week long God has been blessing us. We've been praying to him about what God can do for us. We've been asking God all of these things. But then we come to this point on Sunday where we can say, Daddy, sit on your throne daddy sit on your throne and hear the worship of our hearts all of the services worship everything from the beginning to end the songs we sing worship communion we partake of worship the preaching right now this is worship how is this worship because i'm offering to god the words that i'm giving and you are offering your heart to god to hear what he's saying to you it's worship the offering that we'll give in a moment that's worship everything we do on sunday morning is what it's not about us It's about him. It's about bringing him glory for who he is. I'll say this. God's word must inform our worship. It must transform our worship. And it must conform our worship. And I'll explain what I mean by this. God's word must inform our worship. In other words, our worship must be rooted in an awe of who God is. Are you here? Our worship, and as we're in his word, as we're looking at who he is and what he's done for us, we are able to experience that all. The second thing is that it must be transformed by the word of God. How is it transformed? It goes from being me-centered to being God-centered. It goes from being about me to being about him. And then the last one is this, is that it must be a worship that is conformed. What do I mean by that? It's approved by God because it's a worship that is rooted in obedience. What does God want and how does God want it? The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the perfect sacrifice should provoke our purest worship. The perfect sacrifice should provoke our purest worship. Look at Hebrews 11 and verse 4 at the end there. Look what it says. It says, and through it, he being dead still speaks. And through it, he being dead still speaks. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24. And he says this here. It says, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You see, the blood of Abel speaks, but the blood of Jesus speaks better things. You see, because Abel's sacrifice was acceptable, Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. You see, no offering that we give God is going to be perfect. Why? Because the same thing for those of us that are looking for a perfect church, the moment we walk in, we mess it up because we are imperfect. Hello, somebody. There's no such thing as a perfect church. It's just the bottom line. We are imperfect people worshiping a perfect God, being perfected by that God. But we will not arrive to the place of perfection until that day when everything is said and done and we are glorified in him. Until that time, we will be imperfect vessels who are able to do what? Who are able to offer him sacrifices that are pleasing and that are acceptable. That's a beautiful thing. See, the sacrifice of Abel, it gives us an encouragement and it gives us a warning. The encouragement is this. It is that we are able by grace to offer sacrifices to God that are acceptable. We are able to offer sacrifice to him that honor him and glorify him. The warning is that worship is costly and it may cost us everything. That's the warning. I don't know what it's going to cost you, but I know this. If it's true worship, it costs you. If it's true worship, it costs you. True worship is not free, it's not half-hearted, it's, it is costly. And the question is this, is he worthy of it all? Is he worthy of it all? Because if he is, then you know what, we're inspired because of what? We're inspired because of the blood of Jesus that speaks better things. The blood, See, the hero of the story is not Abel, the hero of the story is Jesus. The beauty of it is, is that because of what Jesus does on the cross, because he dies for sinners like you and I, because he rises so we can be reconciled to God, because he promises us eternal life, because of that, we rejoice in him. We rejoice in who he is. We rejoice in his coming. We rejoice in his love. And we are motivated to give him everything in our lives. Not just songs, not just money here and there, but we are motivated to give him everything because we go with the saying, God, you are worthy of it all, no matter what it costs me. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. And as I close, here's my question for you. Is the object And the objective of your worship acceptable to the Lord. Is the object and the objective of your worship acceptable to the Lord? See, what I'm hoping is that you were introspective and that you looked at your heart. And maybe there are some things that are objects of worship in your life that you need to recognize, man, I got to repent of these things. These things are keeping me further from God instead of me bringing me closer to him. Or maybe it's your objective in worship. Maybe you realize today, man, my worship is all about me. It's all about what I get from God. The reason I give is because he said he's going to bless me. The reason why I obey is because I know if I obey, then he's going to bless me. The reason why I sing is because I'm hoping that he'll touch me. You know, we, we, we need to be honest with ourselves. And so if your worship is, you know, the objective of your worship is wrong, repent Repent today. If the object of your worship is wrong, the idols that you have in your life, listen, we all battle against idols. One preacher said, our hearts are idol-making factories. God creates us to worship Him in all things. He creates us to worship Him with money. He creates us to worship Him in our relationship and our marriage. He creates us to worship Him in our relationship with our children. He creates us to worship Him in our work situation. I know you're like, how do we worship? We worship in all of these areas. When I honor my spouse, I'm worshiping him. When I discipline my children, when I cheat my children, when I love my children, I'm worshiping him. Yeah, when you're giving that bow bow, that's worship. Hello. Don't be abusive. I'm just saying, like, don't be thinking. Every time, you know, we, we, we can get it wrong. But the truth is, when I obey the scriptures, I'm worshiping him. But you know what happens to us? We worship money rather than worship God with it. We worship our relationships rather than worship God with them. We'll idolize work rather than worship him with it. So the truth of the matter is, we have to ask God, man, where is it that my object of worship is misled? Let's bow our heads. I just want to sing this this chorus. As we sang earlier, just sing this chorus together. And then I'll pray for us at the end. Let God deal with your heart. Is he worthy of it all? you are worthy, Lord, that you are glorious, that you are kind and merciful. And Lord, we acknowledge that there is no God like our God. You are high and you are lifted up. And today, Lord, we submit to your spirit and we ask you, spirit of God that you would search us, that you would remove from us, Lord God, those objects of worship, those idols in our hearts. That we, would not numb, that we would not pacify them, but that we would repent of them, Lord God. That, that, that we would not try to deal with them, and, but God, that we would recognize them and that we would allow you to remove them from our lives. And God, I pray that our objective in worship would always be outward toward you, to honor you, to glorify you, for you are the great king. We bless you today. And I pray, Father God, that if there is anyone in this place that does not know you, I pray that they would repent of their sin. I pray that they would call upon you right now and ask you to save them and that they would be delivered now. I pray that they would call upon you and ask you to forgive them for their sin. I pray that they would call upon you and ask you to be Lord of their lives. And I pray, Lord God, that you would.